and we're on week three today of our Bible overview. Um, we're taking kind of a step back and looking at the art, overarching grand narrative of Scripture. You know, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us, that it is alive and active. And so rather than trying to form our own specific view of God from our few favorite Bible passages, we want to take the whole of Scripture and allow it to form us. Our series is called A Story to Live In. We're considering this idea that there are hundreds of stories in society, culture, on the internet that attempt to draw us in and influence us and shape us. But we believe that we make sense of the story of our lives by finding our place within God's story of redemption. Recognizing that we come alive when we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. Acknowledging that the story that we live in, you know, the things we believe about God and ourselves and our purpose, is the story we then live out amongst our friends, families, um, colleagues, and peers. So last week, if you were here, we explored our origin story found in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where in chapters one and two, God creates all things. God's design for life was freedom, creativity, worship, and community with us orbiting around God's goodness and his greatness. But in chapter three, we saw human sinful choice, the decision to make ourselves the center of the story, and everything went wrong. So the plan for today is to look at the next stage of this story. As we move from the creation and decreation accounts at the beginning of Genesis, to the first steps of God's plan to recreate, to rescue, redeem, and restore, to take us back to the garden. And we're gonna do that in three sections. So first, we're gonna map out the whole rest of Genesis. So buckle up, guys, it's gonna be wild. We're then gonna take a pit stop, specifically around the story of Abraham. And then we're gonna come into land by considering how we then live out the continuation of this story in our own lives. So I'm going to invite Lizzie up now, give her a massive round of applause. She's going to do our reading for today. Today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Lizzie. That's amazing. Um, just last week, I was going through my WhatsApp messages and I received this message from Jenny, my wife. It said, if I could do a proper backflip, I could have a great time at the St. Mary's Stadium. And I thought, go on, Jen. You know, I thought you were at work, thought you were at, work at the office, but this sounds much more fun, you know, working on your gymnastics, taking interest in football. Then as I replied, I realized it was actually Jesse on Jenny's phone who had taken Jen's phone and was trying to update me on his latest plans for his goals celebration. You know, context is key. You know, when reading the Bible, particularly, context is key. You know, understanding how the original readers would have heard the text allows us to then better apply it to our lives. 
So let's begin with some context around the book of Genesis. You know, we often focus on the New Testament, all of the teachings of Jesus, but the Old Testament actually forms 77% of the Bible. And Genesis, the first book of the Bible, covers a greater time period than the other 65 books combined. But most importantly, it is the fundamental book for establishing the biblical worldview. And Genesis is clearly divided into two sections. Genesis 1 to 11 covers God's interactions with the whole world. It describes these large global events, revealing God's original intent in creation, followed by the fall of humanity and the corruption of society. Whereas Genesis 12 onwards, the story moves from this meta-narrative and zooms in, focuses in on one specific family. Abraham, Sarah, and their descendants, through whom God begins to outwork his plan to renew all of creation. God blesses them to be a blessing. That theme of being blessed to be a blessing will run throughout today's talk, the rest of Genesis, and the rest of Christian history. Now these two sections are joined by a foundational hinge verse, um, which Lizzie read for us, Genesis 12, one to three, And it is here that Abraham is told to go. He's given the promise of a great name and a great nation, told that he will be blessed so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. And this verse acts as a pivot. It takes us from the global to the local, providing us with the key not only to the rest of Genesis, but the rest of the whole Bible. John Stott, the famous vicar and theologian, said this. He said, It is not an exaggeration to say that the rest of the Old Testament and even the whole of the New Testament are an outworking of the promises of God in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. God's plan to rescue the whole world begins with one family who will grow into the nation of Israel, who will become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, demonstrating what God is like to those around them. And from that nation will come King Jesus, through whom ultimately the whole world will have access to God's blessing. This is the story that we live in, that God blesses you to bless others. So following Abraham's call, the rest of Genesis 12 to 50 takes us in detail through the stories of Abraham, Sarah, their son Isaac, his son Jacob, and his son Joseph. We've already had one little geography pun, so we've got another, another little one coming up here. A lovely little map for you. So if you help, want to help visualize this, these, these things happened in real places with real people in real time and space. And we move geographically, if you like, from Mesopotamia round to Canaan, and the last few chapters are then set in Egypt. Real people in real places. And it is in Canaan that God reveals to Abraham that his descendants are to be God's chosen people that the land of Canaan will be their land and that God himself will dwell there among them. In creation, God's original intent was to walk closely in fellowship with his people, for them to worship him, for them to expand and multiply and thrive and enjoy their work and live in harmonious community. And so God is setting in motion his plan to restore this original vision, to piece back together his kingdom to take us back to the garden, to establish a people and a place for his presence. The story from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50 is the outworking of the first stage of this plan.
And yet, because God chooses to work through imperfect humanity, things are far from straightforward. Though Abraham showed great faith, he also doubted God. He pretended his wife Sarah was his sister. Abraham then becomes impatient and sleeps with Sarah's slave, Hagar. You know, Jacob stole Esau's blessing. Joseph is almost killed by his brothers and sold into slavery. And though God keeps rescuing the situation, setting his people and his plan back on track, Genesis ends with these two words, in Egypt. God's people are no longer in the land of Canaan, but enslaved in Egypt with an Egyptian king that doesn't remember Joseph. The promises made to Abraham are left hanging and undeveloped. Now, if you were writing the Bible, if you were trying to create a nice, clean, ordered story of God's interaction with humanity, you'd probably leave most of those parts out or at least tidy them up a little bit. But this is the raw reality of a faithful God working out his plan through broken humanity. And next week in the book of Exodus, we'll see that all is not lost as God sends Moses and the next step of the plan unfolds. When I became a Christian, many things changed in my life. But one of the first things that happened was I went from being the kind of person, you know, whose kind of clothes form the carpet of your bedroom um, to having a really neatly ordered wardrobe of heavy jumpers, light jumpers, shirts, t-shirts, occasional wear, party wear, fancy dress football kits, and more recently, the odd clergy shirt. God brought order to my life. And part of what we're trying to do with this series is to bring order to the sometimes disconnected way that we can read the Bible. Now, it goes without saying, we're clearly going to miss out far more than we can include. But we hope to give you a framework which makes sense of the trajectory and the overall flow of Scripture as a whole, enabling you to see how the individual stories we read fit into the overarching story of God's redemption plan. As John said, we also hope to then whet your appetite to study this stuff and go much deeper at home in your tables, come along to the seminars and really dive in deeply um, in your own time as well. So just before we move on to the next section, take a moment to immerse yourself in this story, to connect with your origin story, these real people in real places, and begin to think how the story of your life fits into this larger narrative, that you too are blessed to be a blessing. So having mapped out the book of Genesis, we're gonna take a pit stop and spend some time with Abraham, one of the most theologically significant figures in the whole Bible. God's plan is to rebuild his people and the first brick is Abraham. So 2000, approximately 2,000 years BC, Abraham's clan just migrated from Ur in southern Babylonia to Haran in upper Mesopotamia. And it's here in Haran at 75 years old that God tells Abraham to go. Those key verses again, the Lord says to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham's story begins with a step of faith, the call to go to the land that he will be shown. 
Now, Abraham didn't know that he was in the Bible. He didn't have the map that we have, but he went. And often we look back and see God's faithfulness. But as with Abraham, God wants to bring you to a place where you trust before you see all the details. To lean on God, to have faith in his plan for you, to let go of control. That faith isn't just a head knowledge, is it? It's an active trust in God, a step or a move or a decision or a risk. Following the call come the promises. Firstly, that Abraham will be blessed, the blessing of descendants and land, a great name and a great nation. Then secondly comes the instructions to be a blessing, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. This foundational hinge verse has these two clear elements. You will be blessed to be a blessing. Now, the English word blessing doesn't fully capture the Hebrew word used here, which actually essentially means deep fulfillment. God wants the whole world to experience the deep fulfillment that comes from being reunited with him. And so God chooses to deeply fulfill Abraham, that the whole world may be deeply fulfilled through him. So Abraham is to be both the recipient and the mediator of this blessing, to give away what he's been given, to use his position to serve others, to walk closely with God so that others will see what God is like. Expressed in that promise is a profound truth for Abraham and a profound truth for you, that your purpose exists outside of yourself, that you are part of a story bigger than just you, that your life is designed to have a far greater orbit than simply around itself. Now that idea may sound terrifying. You know, what about God's plan for my life? You know, what about my career path? What about my personal goals for this year? This is not about devaluing your life or your worth, quite the opposite. It is in giving yourself to something beyond yourself that true life is found. Jesus said to his disciples, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So we can summarize this instruction in Genesis 12, which sets the trajectory for the rest of redemption history as God saying, go, I will bless you to be a blessing. Now, if you've ever given a child an instruction, you'll know that what you've asked them to do and what they actually do are not always the same thing. For example, Summer, why don't you draw me a picture? Mainly ended up on her face. Or Summer, could you pop some sun cream on? She got halfway there and then started eating it. We haven't got a photo for this one, but when we were making pancakes, we walked into the lounge and found her. She had lathered herself from head to toe in golden syrup and just sat there on the carpet. As God's children, we still bear his image. So we are, incapable, we are capable sorry, of incredible acts of obedience, faith, and trust. And yet we also carry with us the effects of decreation, mixed motives, doubt, fear, and the need for control. And this tension is evident throughout Abraham's life. First, Abraham demonstrated great faith. You know, he does obey the command to go, and leave where he's living. But then later in chapter 12, he's traveled to Egypt where he pretends that his wife is his sister. 
Abraham has been promised a great nation, and yet time passes and he remains childless. And so he begins to doubt, and in Genesis 15, he asks a question which we all ask at some point. God, how do I know that what you have said is actually going to happen? Then in a hugely significant moment, God makes a covenant with Abraham. We sang about it earlier. Now, this idea of covenant is one of the key motifs woven throughout the Bible. It's mentioned 285 times in the Old Testament, and it's the primary means by which God binds himself in relationship to his people in order that he may bring, bring blessing. And we can track this idea of covenant throughout the whole Bible as another tool to help us structure the overarching narrative. You may remember that God made a covenant with Noah, promising never to flood the earth again. He then makes one here in Genesis 15 with Abraham as the plan evolves from one man to one family. Then later we see a covenant with Moses and Israel as God reaches out to a whole nation. This becomes a royal covenant under King David. And then finally Jesus establishes the new covenant as God reaches out the whole world to the whole world. In the Genesis 15 covenant, God commits himself to Abraham, guaranteeing the, fulfill the fulfillment of his promises. And yet despite God's assurances of an heir being born to Abraham and Sarah, in the face of continued childlessness, with Abraham now 86 years old, they try to take control of God's plan and agree that Abraham should have a child with Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian slave. So God returns again to Abraham now aged 99, and renews the covenant, insisting the true heir of the promise will come through Sarah. He instructs Abraham, walk before me faithful, faithfully and blamelessly. Here we see the tension between God's unwavering covenant faithfulness and the human responsibility to trust in and live out those promises. Then finally, in Genesis 21, 25 years after the original promise of Genesis 12, with Abraham now 100 years old, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Now, the name Isaac means the one who laughs. And sometimes, you know, we can perhaps read these biblical stories in the wrong tone. You know, particularly in the Old Testament, we can hear it as God said this, they were disobedient, then God did this. But here, let's pause and stop and join in with their laughter. Let's sense the lightness and the relief of this situation. The fact that God has a sense of humor. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. <laughs> One snigger. <laughs> <laughs> then in the final touch point of Abraham's story, we see him move from doubt and control to incredible faith and obedience. In Genesis 22, God instructs Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. It's not the most usual father and son trip, that one. We normally go for football, bowling, sometimes a bit of chess. So Isaac's looking around thinking, you know, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Now note that God actually provides a ram instead, but Isaac's life is spared. And in this landmark moment in Abraham's life, there are two hugely significant things going on. 
First of all, Abraham is demonstrating faith in the covenant. It's not just a random test. It's showing his complete trust in God's promise. Because if the blessing is to come through the line of Isaac, then Isaac must live. The New Testament book of Hebrews, written 2,000 years after these events, gives us a snapshot of some of the heroes of the faith, and it recounts it in this way. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Then secondly, this story gives us a glimpse of Jesus, the royal descendant of Abraham, the son whom God so loved that would be offered as the final sacrifice. Not a ram, but a spotless lamb, that through him all nations would be blessed. Just as God knew that Abraham loved and trusted him because he did not withhold even his son, how much more can you know that God loves you because he didn't withhold his son? Having mapped out Genesis and then focused in on Abraham, We come into land by considering how to play our part in the continuation of God's story of redemption. How to live out this story in the unique situations that God has placed each of you in. You know, one of the concepts I think that has most helped me understand my journey with God is that the Christian life is battle and blessing. Battle and blessing. Battle and blessing. Battle and blessing. It can be so easy to think that when things are going smoothly, you know, everyone in the family is well, money isn't a stress, I'm enjoying my job, that I must be doing something right. Like I think, you know, no one move, don't breathe too heavily, something's going to fall, we just need to keep everything just like this. But then someone does get ill, or there's an unexpected bill, something tricky happens at work, and you think, what have we done wrong? Where's God gone? God promised this, but. But this idea of battle and blessing describes the whole Christian life as ongoing battle and blessing, battle and blessing. And it allows me to see blessings in every day and to not be discouraged when battles inevitably come. Realizing that at any moment in life, as you walk faithfully with God, there are things to celebrate and things that are hard, but that God is found in both. Jackie Pullinger, famous missionary in Hong Kong, said, I never trust anyone who doesn't walk with a limp. Now, I have to say, Jackie, I, could, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but <laughs> just, just as Jacob wrestled with God and was left with a limp, if you've followed God for more than five minutes, you will know that things are not always simple and straightforward. We see in the stories of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, faith followed by doubt, obedience followed by disobedience, promises but then complications, hopes and dreams only partially fulfilled, battle and blessing, God working out his perfect promises through imperfect people. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which means the struggle. The story of Israel is a struggle, but it's also the story of a faithful God who blesses his people. 
And so as you consider your place in the story of Abraham, your role in the command to go, to be blessed, to be a blessing, know that you find yourself leaning on the same faithful covenant-keeping God who carries you through battle and blessing, who laughs with you in the blessings and who is perfectly loyal to you in the battles. The promise of God, this overarching story we're looking at, to bless his people, to then be a blessing, is unstoppable. Because ultimately, it doesn't rely on me or you, but on God, who is determined to bless, despite your failures. But you do have a role. Your role is to join in, by faith, with God's plan to reach the world. To trust, however imperfectly, in his perfect promises. To resist the urge to turn to the Hagar, if you like, in your life, but to trust in God's perfect timing. It's your job to go without knowing the full picture. Drawing from Hebrews 11 again, we read, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Where is God calling you? What is he calling you to step into? What godly risk is he asking you to take? Don't wait until you can see the full picture, otherwise you'll never move. Ultimately, the story that you live in is about something bigger than just you. Hebrews 11 continues with, I think, one of the most humbling lines in the Bible. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Abraham died with only a handful of descendants. His only personal possessions was a well that he had dug and a grave he had bought. And yet today, there are over two billion Christians across every nation in the world. You are not the center of the story that you live in. God's vision for your life is so much bigger and more exciting and more profound than that. You have been blessed to be a blessing to others. You have been blessed in order to play your part in God's plan to make all things new. We heard earlier on this stage, safe families exist because it is not God's original design that anyone should be alone. If you have a spare room, is there someone that needs a home? If you've been transformed on the Alpha course, come back and invite someone else. If you have the gift of music, use it to lead others in worship. If you have a heart for prayer, commit to pray for everyone that you know. Spend your time investing in other people. This isn't a kind of robotic command from God to just go and do this. God is relational. And the way that he works is he pours into people that you can then pour into others. Then by his spirit, in doing those things, he transforms our heart and restores us fully back to the image of himself, the way that he created us to be. So how can you use whatever you have, however small, where you are, to bless others as you have been blessed? How can you continue this story of God's redemption by helping others experience the blessing, the deep fulfillment that is found in Jesus alone? If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for him, you will find it.
You give up your life for others because Jesus gave his life for you. And in doing so, you experience deep fulfillment, blessing. You come alive when you realize that you are part of something bigger than just you because you are reconnecting with God's original intent to orbit around him and not yourself.